Hello, hello. I hope you're not too cold where you are. It's the 15th of February 2021. You're listening to The Leadership Woman with me, Jill Savile. And today I'm going to be in conversation with Dean Harris. Welcome, Dean, to the Leadership Woman podcast. And Dean, you are a hospital director in the UK. And um, we're going to be telling people where we met, how we met and everything else. But uh, the main thing is you're going to talk about leadership lessons, the things that you've learned. So absolutely. I look forward to this. We've just had a, a quick chat about the fact that it's going to be informal and uh, we don't really know what's going to come up, but but we'll see. Let's begin really with uh, how did we meet? That train journey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was a, and I, so I, for those of you, uh, the, I suppose the listeners who, who may know Wales or may not, um, it's, it's fairly, um, pretty proud, but pretty, um, separate in a way uh, from the rest of the UK in, in some ways. Um, and I had never actually caught the train to London, <laughs> but I went for a, a job. Um, I know it's embarrassing, isn't it? Um, I, went, I went for a job. Um, the, the interview was in, in London and got on the train, thankfully got on the right platform um, and happened to sit opposite you. Um, I've got a really photographic memory uh, so I remember you were reading Willful Blindness, bizarrely, <laughs> uh, um, uh, because I looked at it and I, I actually, I, I just thought it might be about, you know, corruption and stuff. And, and then we just had eye contact. Um, it, I remember it like it was yesterday, just bizarre, isn't it? It would have been um, the June of 2016. Uh, yeah, that's when my interview was. And then I had three months notice started. So, yeah, I, I think you said, you asked what I did. Um, you thought I, you know, sort of did the commute often, but no, it was my first time. Um, I, can't, I can't believe I gave the impression that I was a regular commuter because I was terrified. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you said you worked for the John Maxwell Academy. At the time, I didn't know who John Maxwell was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of, my Facebook feed was always full of, you know, Simon Sinek and, and those sort of people and the books I had. Um, but bizarrely, I came. I went back to my office in, in and I had a, a, a John Maxwell book on my on my in my um, shelf. I'd never <laughs> even sort of read the person. So that kicked off. Um, I, I suppose my focus on leadership it was that initial meeting, um, and then I went for a, a job. I got the job, and it was quite a step up. It was a. Uh, it was quite frightening, you know, that sort of step you take when you you ask yourself, "Can I do it?" You know, you really move out of your comfort zone. So that. I thought, you know, at that point, it's all in my control. And that kicked off what is a, a hunger, really, to, to develop my leadership ability. Um, yeah. And, and my recollection of meeting is, is not as detailed. Anybody that knows me will, uh, will know that I'm, I'm sketchy at best. Um, but I, I do remember meeting you, and the things that stood out for me were... You had a pile of papers, a pile of stuff that you were you were like swatting for for something, you know. And uh, 
and you were about to go for an interview and my instinct said no it's too it's too late for that and i think i said to you it's too late for that if you don't if you don't know it's too late uh, what you really need to tell me is why are you the best person for this job and it got, it got you refocused i think uh, and unfortunately you carried my case yeah that's right but, but you also got off you also got off a stop early to help me um yeah. i can't remember yeah. the exact line yeah, because you're going to the airport. I think you got. Yes, off. yeah, yeah. Um, could be, could be. I think it's. And I wasn't yeah, living uh, in England at the time. I mean, the fact that we met was a sheer, sheer fluke. In fact, yeah, I was on my way back to France. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, that's right. But I went into that job interview, and I went into the waiting room. It was a bizarre office because I was really frightened. Um, of, of sort of going in there and whether I'd find it. I wasn't worried about the interview, which in some ways was a bit of a savior. So I didn't hype myself up. It was just the journey gave me a bit of anxiety. And as I came out of the station, I saw the CEO that if I hadn't had that pack of paper, I wouldn't have known what he looked like. Um, and he recognized me actually. So I, then I thought, okay, so you must have you know, known the applicants. Um, mm -hmm. there, was a, there was a prison governor who had the interview before me. And he came out, he said, well, I haven't got the job made. And he just walked <laughs> off. So I, and then the fear set in of what am I walking into? But it, it was like a conversation. And that's when, you know, I think yeah. the interview's going well. And, and you said that that kick-started your idea of leadership. And um, tell me about your, your progress, because you started as a social worker, you were saying. Yeah, that's right. So I qualified as a social worker, but it was a degree that I really didn't know what to do. I had a quite a lost um, teenage years of not really wanting to study. Um, my parents sort of put a lot into me for, to get the GCSEs in terms of tuition. Um, I got basic grades, you know, passes all the way through, went into A-levels, really did not do anything. Um, I think I've got two Ds at the moment and an E in something. I actually had a, a U um, in... Um, biology, which is unmarkable or something like that, um, which is you know, the lowest of the low, got kicked off that course. Um, I really couldn't put the effort into it. I was uh, I was angry that I had to do it, you know, at an age where I wanted to enjoy myself. Uh, and social work came up. Really, you know, it's a bit embarrassing to say this, but it came up. I had to do two Ds, and it had, the entry was two Ds at A level. So I went for it. Um, I think I did it pretty well. I mean, I, you know, you, you have a lot of placements. You go out and learn. Um, on my second year, the, the council I was working with at the time decided to employ me as an assistant to a social worker for the month's gap in, in between uni. And then the third year, I got a job straight from the placement. So I was, I was working in Kefili, um in an adult learned disability team, having been in children's services previously as the assistant. Um, and I absolutely hated it. It wasn't what I thought it was. Um, so I should sort of cut in back because uh, my mother, uh, she's a physiotherapist, but she worked in some of the larger mental health institutions and gave me a bit of a hunger for it. And I probably followed her, her direction into it and became a support worker first. That's when I saw social workers coming in. And from what I saw, it was an amazing job. But when I went there, uh, it really wasn't. It was a. It was really managing purse strings quite heavily. You know, uh, mm -hmm. budget cuts, taking services mm -hmm. off people that um, deserve the service. Really, and I found that really difficult. Uh, so I decided to leave. 
So what took you into leadership then? Because many people, many experts, um, if they're good at their job, they get promoted. And we end up with experts at the top who actually don't lead well. Uh, whereas yeah. you took the opposite way. That's right. So I, from that social work post, I went to manage a small community home. Now, that was an escape from a job that I hated. Um, it was the same salary. It was around the corner. But very quickly, it, it pitted me up against a team, a very small team. I think it was nine staff. I started to realize that I, I struggled. I could, I've, I've had a couple of abilities that have, have sort of done me well, I, I think, in terms of my ability to read people. But I, I was terrified of conflict. Um, and that sort of, you know, that guilt, that leadership guilt, or not, it's not leadership guilt, sorry. It's a, it's, it's a guilt you feel when you know you haven't done the job well but also the anxiety of having a conflict meant that i didn't i was frightened of doing it well you know um mm. and it was only really when a, a, the, the company i was i was working for got bought out so quite a hostile takeover and all of the management above me um left and this new operations director um took on and i just saw his ability his ability to really say it like it is, if you like, um, but, you know, with a bit of forethought, with a bit of planning, but unplanned, if that makes sense, you know, he, he could in the moment uh, be able to put you straight. And then I started to look at and understand what he was doing. He, he generated my interest initially, but I didn't go very far with it. I started to mimic what he did and start to think I should be more like him. You almost need to do that. You almost need to see what a good leader does. You need that comparison. But then you very quickly realize that I'm in the job for my skills. And you try to tell others that, but they got to work it out. You know, um, it's almost like the first test, you know, um, you mimic and then you realize, actually, I'm not going to do everything as well as they do because they have very different skills to me. So I'll focus on my strengths. And how did you discover your strengths? I know I can generally understand people, but that I've always felt able to do that. I've never really not known that. Um, as a child, um, I think it, it, it's, for me, it's born out of a, a huge sensitivity as a child, you know, um, a, a fear of being judged, um, quite a timid kid, you know, um, the biggest in the room, but the most timid, probably the quietest, the sometimes shy. Um, oh. And my continual reflection on what others thought, I think, born out my ability to read people. Um, that, that's sort of my theory on it. So I always knew that I could relate, but the other strengths were probably born out of coaching, but I always focus more on my weaknesses, you see. Mm -hmm. um, and I flip between strengths being weaknesses or not. Um, another strength, I know that I have a, a very vivid memory. I remember conversations very quickly, but those sort of things. But sometimes I, I doubt myself hugely as well. So that... And I say that because that can be a strength. That, that hyper-reflection can also keep you on your game. You know, it, it can also keep you focused as long as it, you harness it the right way. And how much of, when you learn about yourself and your strengths and everything else, how, what advantage does that give you in terms of interacting with, with other people? You, you know the work we did on, on the PCM? Yeah, process communication model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the... the, the um, I was going to say continuum. What are they called? The uh, stages. The um, 
Uh, the different pers personality types. Yeah, the different different personality six, types. six different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he calls it a specific thing, like what an apartment is called in America. Um, ah, the yeah, the condominium they they call it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I call it a block of flats. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's right, and. Uh, that that was great for me because it's sort of embedded, you know, I'm a thinker base and you were able to give that some meaning. That initially gave you an understanding of yourself, but it also, we had lots of conversations, didn't we? Quite detailed conversations of other people I manage um, and where they may sit and, and how their distress markers may show out. So if they're, if they're stressed, how are they going to enter the room? And that, that, that helped completely. Uh, that, ability to almost rationalize an emotional behavior in somebody else because you know very often you see in the workplace emotional outcome emotional response you know um and then these guys really don't get anywhere um but you can remove yourself at the same time i was reading the chimp paradox as well um you know it's sort of the negative um the negative impact your mind can have um, and so that ability in really tough meetings, and it can be meetings when you're really, um, for me, it's been meetings when you're talking to stakeholders about something that's gone wrong and you're really up against it. It can be, you know, really bad sort of, you know, disciplinaries you have to do when you dismiss somebody. Any meeting that can generate conflict on a one-to-one -one or in a group, if you can found, form a foundation of where, those, where the people told you are coming from and remove yourself, so what, more, what happens when we're under stress is we very quickly focus on here. I mean, we focus on how we're feeling. We focus yeah. on the butterflies. Am I going to be able to do it right? And we, we don't really think that person opposite you is, is having that, you know, times two. If you're in a disciplinary, if you're chair in disciplinary, you're in, in the seat you want to be in. That gives you an, an ability, I suppose, to switch off from your own emotion and, and, to, and to do the task, uh, to focus on that person. But also, you, you generally make the right decision. I've often made decisions. Others have looked at me and thought, like, you know, that person should have been fired or, or, um, or you should have saved this person. But when, you, when you're just calmer and you're able to look at the situation ahead of you, I think it just that, that's what learning is about yourself. That is what it can lead to, you know, that um, clarity sometimes. And so since we, since we met, uh, you've changed job again. You're now a hospital director for a, a private mental hospital, which uh, I know had its challenges, continues to have its challenges through COVID and, and everything. Um, but you are making a career out of being a leader, not an expert. Yeah, that's right. Um, by accident, really. And it goes on from the story initially. Uh, in my field, and, and this probably rings true for other fields too, the people generally in my position are nurses and, and, and the way you climb up is, is by being the best nurse. We, we have a culture where the best performers get promoted, you know, um, and sometimes that suits. Sometimes it may be a, you know, a scientist that can, is, is the best in their field can lead, you know, and, and, but, but more often than not, it really doesn't work. So if, if the best nurse on the board becomes the unit manager, all of a sudden, we're asking that person who's put 100% effort into being the best nurse to be a leader and, and to lead people. And that's, that's, you know, I ask those people to do that as well. Um, 
it's probably the same for every field. The best salesperson in a call center becomes a team leader, you know. The best when lawyer. Really, exactly. When all we really teach them sometimes is to be the best in their field, the best salesperson and the most competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and more often than not, what we don't want. So I am a bit of a, um, there's not many people like me um, in, in, in my field. And I'm a bit fortunate for that because I was given the opportunities that many would have seen as a risk. Um, so I was actually given a chance to, to lead as a deputy, a, a, a large hospital um, that had some significant CQC uh, concerns, the regulator, that is. Um, and we managed to do it. That gave me a bit of kudos, really, within, within the company and, and able to, gave me a couple of other projects that thankfully went well, that, that gives you momentum, you know. I'm not sure if I could have done it without that, without that initial chance. But I was really focused, the fact that I wasn't a nurse. I'm not a doctor. Um, you know, not all those different professionals you work with. So, so what am I? Where, where do I fit? And so I really make an, made an identity um, as a leader. In that hospital team, you have so many people around you that are experts in their field. Um, I don't know why we've developed a culture of having a nurse as the manager or having a you know, doctor as running the services because it, it's unnecessary. Um, you have everybody around you that you need to make a decision. I, I didn't have a, a professional identity that I wanted to protect. Um, and so I just thought I'm going to get the best out of everybody around me. Um, yeah, I was also, yeah, if you take it back to how I was feeling then, not this job, but the last job, I was also terrified. Um, you know, I was thinking, this is, a, this is a huge step for me. How am I going to make it work? And if I honestly, if I went into that job thinking, well, I've got all the expertise in my head, I would have drowned. But thinking that everybody's around me and how am I going to, that's where leadership comes in. How am I going to get them at their best? That's servant leadership, you know. I'm not about the manager and the process. I'm about, my job is to get them functioning. Yeah, getting the best out of getting the best out of other people uh, is leadership. Add, adding value to other people. If if we're thinking about John Maxwell, um, and being a leader, I'm thinking some people say it can be lonely. I mean, who do you find to talk to and uh, mentoring? I know that we we met once a month uh, and that kind of thing. But but what other kind of support have you had? I think. That again is multi-dimensional, you know. It's not always lonely, but it can be. You know, there's certain mm-hmm. uh, things you need to keep to yourself, um, but there's also some pressures that you hold that can be shared, and and developing a, a, a mature team that's able to take that on is is one of the you know the the initial object, objectives you have. Um, they should know where the hospital is mm. sitting. They should know you know, the financial performance. They should know the failures and what we have to do about it. Um, and they should know their accountability. And, and when you're able to have those honest conversations, I'm a bit more open than other, other leaders and managers before me in terms of the things I share as well. I'm quite aware of that. Some of these boundaries are in place because people believe that, you know, um, in terms of information sharing, that they believe they hold the position. It's almost a positional clearance, but it doesn't allow the team to function. I think if the team know the truth, um, you can generate um, an awful lot more momentum, especially if you if you build a a culture that that on, on relationships. You know, a, a team on relationships. My team will know if I'm going into a board meeting, I'm going to get a kicking. You know, and they don't want that to happen. That's not a traditional thing. You know, to share always. 
So in, in lots of ways, I, I have a style that I probably decrease the amount of times that you feel lonely. Um, but you are right. I think um, mentoring helps hugely. Uh, the group the, the, the we're a part of is, is really interesting. The, uh, the, the influencers group, um, I went blank for a second then. Um, it's really useful because you're actually not alone. Either. I mean, lots of people are, are carrying positions that, that can sometimes feel lonely. And, you know, being the only, um, the only director in the hospital can at times, you know, you do hold the weight. There's, there's lots around that. You have to look after yourself, for example, you know, physically, I mean, health-wise. The anxiety can increase. You have to learn sort of tools, little ways in your head to make sense of information. Uh, and I think everyone has to do that themselves. There's, there's not an awful lot that I can give anybody a lesson to learn because all, everyone's, everyone's worries are different. I stopped worrying really about what people think of, about me in a personal sense years ago. It is lonely, but I think with the right support around you as a team, a bit of honesty in there, you know, moving away from the artificial harmonies, I think managers can, can develop where teams don't really talk to each other or tell each other where they sit. Um, building that, looking after yourself, your mind, your body, um, I think is a generally a good a good place to start but you've got to understand as you move up the ladder that loneliness and that burden is going to increase um there's not it's about managing the load isn't it because you ain't going to shift it um, yeah I, I like the phrase you just used about artificial harmonies because if if we do shy away from, from conflict you know we can sort of uh, give the impression that everything is okay when when in fact it isn't and yeah. nothing ever gets sorted yeah. out so when I, when I was actually, a story really popular to mind then, a, um, there was a HR director um, that actually didn't last long in the company, but I was on a conference um, with, a, with a, a company a little while back. And it was at the time when I was fearful of that conflict. I was developing that skill. Um, and he said that he really enjoys conflict. And I thought, God, you know, yeah, you, it's psychopathic that comes to mind, I don't know, sociopath, you know, these CEOs on the... Um, and... It's only probably been in this job in the last two years or so that I've, I've actually agreed because you've got to break down what does conflict mean? Conflict is not yelling at somebody across the office. It's not talking down to somebody, but it's an honest sharing of, of perspectives. And there's, there's nothing more harmful um, than, than having a team that, that don't truly align to where you want to be. And, you, and you know, lots of teams, the artificial harmony really relates to teams all believe in you're on the same journey, but you're not. And it's that saying, isn't it? Um, about somebody drilling holes in the boat when you're not looking. Um, that, that sort of, um, that's what pops up to me. You know, it's, it's that, it's not quite sabotage, is it? But it's, it, you're not firing because not everybody's going for the same objective. No. And they, they don't tell you about it. Yeah, and what you've, what you've been talking about really is the five dysfunctions of a team. If you remember that that triangle, you've talked a lot about trust. And unless you've got that trust to have the open conversations in the beginning, then you don't get to the level of, of conflict where actually everybody can put their ideas on the table. It can be constructive and you come up with the best outcome yeah. for the organisations. Absolutely. Sometimes it can be really threatening. I still feel that. I still want an idea best for the hospital. But a, a doctor, a psychologist, a you know whatever, may say, may may block that, or I may lose the vote on something. Mm -hmm. um, 
but then that's about influence isn't it change over time um and yeah. i think that's huge as well and that's the lesson that i'm currently learning but so ch change over time if i can just pull out some of the things then that you've been talking about you, you've talked about um leadership leadership particularly as being different to to expertise being certainly different to management uh you were talking about working to understand yourself and how you are made up and how you communicate. Um, and it gave you a greater understanding of other people. You talked a lot about trust and conflict and the number of times you said, I took on this job and I was frightened. I was like, you know, to, to listen to a leader talk about the vulnerability um, is, um, yeah, I, I'm really pleased that that you did that because we're not all self-sufficient and we don't know all the answers. And I've always felt when I've taken on a promotion, it's like you're putting on a coat, two sizes too big and you've got to grow into it. Um, and it's not a promotion if you've got nothing to grow into. So It's, it's been one of my biggest frustrations of, of the people who manage me, the inability sometimes to understand where their emotional response is coming from because it can be so disheartening, you know, uh, when they find out a stat or a KPI is not where it needs to be, you get someone down the phone telling you what you need to do, you know, and, and that's the, the biggest damage damage that they can do. Because what they're really saying, um, you know, if somebody rings me up and they say, you know, Dean, your turnover has increased. Here's a list of everything I want you to focus on. They're saying, oh, you haven't got a clue what you're doing, you know. Um, and I often get more annoyed from going down that list and those things were done six months ago. I've often forecasted this, you know, um, but it was only more recently when we talk about perspective and, and how I really try to keep a clear perspective that I realized that I was doing some of that as well. Um, so you, I was getting angry upwards and then probably projecting that downwards yeah. um, and thinking, okay, we need this to improve. And I was ringing up my, my you know, my clinical uh, lead. Um, I was ringing up the, the general hospital manager that runs a lot of the support services and telling them, what they need to be doing. Um, I also realized that on every leave, apart from this one, I'm only on day three, I phoned the hospital, you know, of how are things going? Um, and I just, I formed these quite negative skills by accident. And that's why perspective is so difficult sometimes because how can, how can you see what you can't see, you know? And, and that's where you fit in, Joe. Um, and that's where the group fits in. Uh, because they can open your eyes to some of the things that you're doing that are so damaging. Um, and that's why leadership, you'll never be the perfect leader. You, you'll push yourself in one direction and very quickly realize you've neglected another. And that's what I quite like about it, because I think it could be a field for, you know, the next thousand years and I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be the leader that I want to be. And I think that's a really lovely place to to come to uh, and to leave it because a you're as passionate about leadership as I am, and secondly, the journey never ends. Is we're never going to be finished. There's always something that we can we can do better. So thank you so much for being open, open about your challenges, open about your journey. I know we've only scratched the surface of, of some of it. Um, but it was really good. Thank you for coming on this on this podcast. Thank you for arranging that. And um, and I'll see you again very soon. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. Bye.